This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. While the Man Cup is in full swing and the NLL entry draft goes on Tuesday, perhaps the biggest news of the offseason was Jessica Berman. She's the new Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs. And she's next, right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. I am an outlaw. Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, right here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash. It's been a while. Hope your summer has been enjoyable, or was enjoyable. I guess it's officially over now that it's A, Man Cup season, and B, school is back in session. Shout out to all those down in the NCAA and across Canada at all the Canadian schools. Heck, wherever you are, shout out for getting school done. As always, if you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. Lacrosse show, lacrosse pun. We move on. Uh, Man Cup full swing. Game three is tonight as I record. That's Monday. Um, Peterborough tying this series up in dramatic fashion in game two. Sean Evans, a natty hattie. Uh, in the span of five and a half minutes or so, as he erased a three-goal deficit for the Lakers, forcing overtime, and Peterborough would score six straight, including those three from Evans, to take game two. Still no word if Matt Vince will be in the roster tonight, still waiting uh, the birth of their child, he and his wife. So Victoria fans hoping that he can stay away a few more days. Laker fans hoping that baby comes out. But I got to say, Mike Poulin and Pete Dubinsky have been wonderful. This man cup so far, Doobie's already faced 141 shots in two games. 67 in game one, 74 in game two. Victoria's often content to let teams shoot from the outside. Pete Dubinsky's been handling those outside shots fairly well. But when you're putting up 60-plus in back-to-back games, your goaltender's going to get pretty tired. And now they got to play three games in three nights. If they continue that barrage of shots, Pete Dubinsky, to use a Don Cherry line, will have seen more rubber than roadkill on the Trans-Canada Highway. So Victoria's got to find a way to limit the shots. Peterborough, I think, has kind of found their groove after game one. They weren't as prepared for the Victoria speed as as they thought they were going to be. They've made some adjustments both offensively and defensively. Now it's Victoria's turn to make those adjustments offensively and defensively. As again, we go into this game of three in a row. Series could be over as soon as Wednesday. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think either team can win the next three. I think this thing still goes six games, but you just never know. So game three goes tonight, 7 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, You can see the game on play full screen. Uh, Hopefully all the kinks have been worked out since game one and game two. I know some people are still having some issues. I don't have control over that. Uh, I know the broadcast as they are are crystal clear. It's just the issue of getting the broadcast across the interwebs 
to all of you to be able to see it. So uh, we've had a couple days. Hopefully that's been fixed and done with. We can move on. We can play some lacrosse because we're going to see some great lacrosse over uh, the next three days, maybe the next six days. Who knows? Uh, but leading into the National Lacrosse League draft is the Man Cup. Uh, the annual entry draft goes on Tuesday. Myself, Stephen Stamp, Devin Caney, Jordan Demcher. Bring it to you live on BR Live. From Xfinity Live in downtown Philly. Well, the sports area of Philly. I don't really know Philadelphia that well. Uh, last time I was there was maybe like 2003. Yeah, I only think I played there once in the NLL. Was that my, and that was my first game, 2003. Maybe once more after that, I think. Probably once more with Minnesota. I have a terrible brain. Concussions will do that to you. Tracy Klusky will agree with me. We talked at length about this the other day. Sucks. Um, back to the draft. Uh, so Reggie Thorpe and the New York Riptide have the first overall pick in the draft. And all crystal balls point to them taking Andrew Q uh, out of Tampa and Oakville. Kid's real deal from everybody that I've, I've talked to. Um, maybe the one sort of knock on his game, I guess, needs to find the dirty areas in the center of the floor a little bit more. Uh, but he can shoot the lights out. Uh, and a really, really talented player. And Reggie Thorpe and the Tide, if they do take him, will be thoroughly thoroughly happy to have him running that left-hand shooter side for them uh, in their first season. Ryland Reese, too, to Rochester seems like a completely natural fit. Uh, Dan Carey's going to want to continue to build that back end in a very physical North division. That's what they are now, the North. Right. If you haven't heard, three new divisions, the West, the North, the East. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Ryland Reese will most likely go two to Rochester. Then we could get the first family pick of the draft. Tyson Gibson is a talented, talented right-hander um, and a very strong power forward. Would really seem like a natural fit for him to go to New England where his dad is a coach with the Black Wolves. It's a great pick. I don't know if it is the pick, but... Um, for any team that needs scoring touch, Tyson Gibson uh, is a guy that is going to get that for you. And then after the first three, while there are still some pretty, there are, sorry, I didn't just say pretty. There are a ton of great players over the next six or seven picks. And while Stamper has a fantastic breakdown of it, um, and he's more in touch with that stuff than most people, I just sometimes think that in these drafts, we can't always predict where teams are going to go. And there can always be that flyer pick. There can always be that unknown. Think of Latrell Harris a couple years ago and uh, the video that the Toronto Rock put out when they actually made that pick and at their draft table. And basically everybody in that group was like, you want to take a flyer? I want to take a flyer. Let's take a flyer. Let's go way down the draft list and grab Latrell Harris. Maybe there's that guy somewhere in this draft that, not that we're overlooking, but that we just don't have as high as some other teams and other GMs do. So uh, when you look at guys like 
uh, Holden Garland, Clark Peterson, Liam LeClaire, Warren Jeffrey. Like those five guys can probably go in any order. And there's still time for some guys who maybe are realizing the first weekend that college just isn't for them and they want to throw their names in the draft. Zach Manns made that decision before the Minto Cup and his stock has risen exponentially. And he could crack into that top eight in the National Lacrosse League draft. So until we get to Tuesday, there may be only three real guaranteed picks. Maybe the top five that Stamper has them at are, are pretty solid, but you just never know. And you never know what trades could be offered. Sometimes there's an offer you can't refuse and you trade down. There's a guy you think will better fit. And I hope that stuff happens. I'm super excited to get to Philadelphia and be a part of the draft. And I hope some craziness does happen. So uh, Tuesday, Xfinity Live, BR Live. We'll have the full coverage for you. Uh, Hope you can tune in and enjoy. And if you're having draft parties, I'm sure social media will be all over it. Um, Before we get to Jessica Berman, because I want to give that conversation as much time as possible. Uh, the league finally announcing their new division alignments. Um, this has sort of been known for quite some time in most circles. I think Jumbo had it out in July or something like that. Um, but yeah, three divisions. West will stay the same. San Diego, Vancouver, Saskatchewan, Col- Calgary, Colorado. Then you'll have the North, which is Halifax, Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester. And then the East is New England, New York, Philadelphia, Georgia. Division winners get in. Next best in their division get in. And then two wild cards. Then they rank them. One plays eight and so forth. I don't hate it. The one thing I kind of don't like and... Some teams may hate me for saying this, but Georgia has a real easy path to that East title as it sits right now. Because within their division, they are already the strongest team. And if they get that number one seed and due to all the games they play within their division, their number one overall record is in, then they would have to play the second wildcard team and that could be a team that's like maybe around 500 in their division, depending. So, I again, I don't, I think going to three divisions was necessary. I know it's not an easy thing to decipher of how they would have put teams and where teams would have gone, but it also allows them for more expansion to easily put teams in the North and East markets to balance the schedules out and balance the divisions out. I don't hate the playoff system. I think it's a natural fit uh, when you do it that way. Having eight teams creates uh, you, what, four weeks of playoffs. So there's another month of the schedule. Uh, Speaking of the schedule, we should know it. By the draft, as I'm told. I believe um, draft week at some point that schedule will come out. Obviously, they had to wait until NHL and NBA and 
all the other schedules had to be filled um, for their arenas to become available so they could know when they could play. It'll be, as always, interesting now with these new divisions and how this is all going to play out back-to-backs, who has crazy travel weekends. Um, that's always a fun thing to break down and decipher uh, just to see what teams have to go, you know, Vancouver to Georgia. Probably won't happen, but... All right, let's get down to business. As you may have all heard, the National Lacrosse League has hired Jessica Berman as the new Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs. Now, this may seem like um, just a business move. You may not really understand what she's being brought in to do. Hopefully, within our conversation, we can explain a lot of things of what she is able to do what she is capable of doing and has done and some of the amazing things that she has been a she grew up in the bronx in a melting pot of cultures and religions she was the minority and so she has seen seclusion and inclusion and what it can do for cultures and what it can do for communities to help bring bring people together and now with her experience in the NHL a few decades later, she has been able to take those experiences and relate them to our culture and our generation of fans, of families, and of groups of people who may have never seen the game of hockey before. And so now, the hope is that she can bring some of those models and ideas and successes over to the National Lacrosse League. Please enjoy my chat with the new Deputy Commissioner and EVP of Business Affairs, Jessica Berman. Joined now by Jessica Berman, Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs, the newly named EVP. Jessica, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Uh, I am wonderful. Uh, where did we catch you today? Where are you? Oh, well, today is my one gap day between leaving the NHL and starting officially Monday with the National Lacrosse League. So, um, believe it or not, most of my day has been consumed with NLL business, even though I officially haven't started. So, um, I'm uh, excited to hit the ground running on Monday. Did your kids get through the first couple weeks of school? Was that a busy time for you as well? Yeah, my kids started school this week. My uh, older son started middle school. So uh, that was a big adjustment. And my younger one is in third grade. So that got going as well as hockey and soccer. So everything all at once. How long till we get a lacrosse stick in their hands? That is such a good question. Uh, my eight-year-old is starting in the spring. He has promised me that he will try it um, out of loyalty to my new sport of choice. And uh, my older one, I, I think, unfortunately, the culture of youth sports has contaminated him, and he thinks that it's, quote, too late to try <laughs> lacrosse. And I'm working on him. And I told him that he's only 11 and that people take up sports when they're adults. So that's crazy. But unfortunately, youth sports culture today, kids think they need to be pro when they're 10 in order to play. 
that's a, a kind of a great starting point for us because you've done a lot of work with community development in the National Cross League and, or sorry, in the National Hockey League and getting the sport to more people and making it more inclusive and learning the game to more people who may not know it as well. So how do we take that aspect and allow more people to know about the sport of lacrosse? Well, I think that's one of the areas that Nick Sikavich, when when he and I were introduced, uh, one of the areas of my experience and background that he was most interested in. And I spent the last four years at the NHL working on essentially, um, as an initial matter, identifying the barriers to the game, the barriers to hockey, which were really uh, grouped into three areas, infrastructure, cultural, and economic. And then we built a strategy around addressing those three key barriers so that we could increase access, uh, create a more inclusive environment, and make sure that anybody who is inclined to try the sport has the opportunity to do so. Have you tried it yet? I have tried it. <laughs> Last year, I I, uh, I started an initiative through my kids' youth hockey program. They play the Marinette Youth Hockey uh, Travel Program, and I did a program. Actually, I, I piloted it with with my own community, and actually, USA Hockey has taken it and done it in a bunch of other places now. The idea was if we could get the moms on the ice that we could build a stronger emotional connection to the game and I think you know help help the parents to feel better about the commitment they have to make in order to get their kids to play and perhaps have more respect for their kids and what they can do because when you get on the ice there's really nothing more humbling Mm -hmm. so um we did a we did a hockey mom uh night learn to learn to skate learn to play night through USA Hockey and now uh, they have a team called the Mother Puckers. Nice. So um, they're they're off and running. All I, I would say about thirty to fifty moms participate through our program on a somewhat regular basis, and and they love it. Uh, in an interview with Global Sports Matter, you said diversity is the invitation to the party, and inclusion is being asked to dance. What does that mean? That means that, you know, a lot of people talk about diversity, uh, which is really about bringing people together who represent different backgrounds. So being intentional about ensuring that your team, your community, whoever is around the table making decisions, or in this case, business decisions, bring a diverse set of perspectives. So women, men, different races different ethnicities, different sexual orientation, because those people have different experiences in their life that could contribute to making a better business decision because they're going to challenge your thinking with questions that you couldn't have thought of. But um, the reason I added the inclusion is about being asked to dance is that I think we're at a point in our development as society where People are very conscious of diversity and bringing diverse perspectives to the table, but I'm not sure we're really creating the environment where people feel like they can contribute or that their contribution is valued. And so the being asked to dance part is the part of the 
the dynamic where those who are in the position of power, who are the ones who are essentially are the majority in the room, should be conscious about providing a platform or an opportunity for those who have historically not had a voice or been marginalized to contribute to the conversation, seek out their opinion, because that history that um, a lot of those marginalized communities have experienced tends to mute their voice. And so it's about being asked to the party and being asked to dance so that we can get everybody's best thinking. Absolutely. Does that explain it? Is that helpful? Yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, One of the great initiatives that the National Crossing has been a part of for a number of years is Right to Play, um, especially through the power of sport. The indigenous culture is is a huge part of the lacrosse culture. How do we continue to build off of that and make that a real strong point of our league? Well, I think that history, the fact that the roots of the game are embedded in the history and tradition of indigenous communities is such a huge asset as we think about inclusion because marginalized communities or communities who have historically felt excluded or underrepresented really align around that thinking. So I think by sharing that story, by celebrating that history, will create and inspire other marginalized or underrepresented communities to feel like it's appropriate for them to come to the table. So, of course, initiatives, it's important that they're specific to particular communities, but just generally extending a a hand to the Indigenous community in and of itself will send the message to lots of underrepresented communities Mm -hmm. across the globe that we want them to come to the game either as a fan or as a participant or as a parent or whatever capacity they want to show up. You've used the word inspire a couple of times. Um, what does it mean for you to be in this role now and inspiring the next generation of not only young women, but young people who want to take their abilities to the next level and break ground? I take the responsibility really seriously to both inspire and really build the next generation of, of executives who want to shape the future. I, I really genuinely believe the reason I've worked in sports and have wanted to work in sports since I was so young is that sports is one of those unique aspects of our culture that has the power to change the world. Nelson Mandela said that, and I I really believe that. There, there are very few things that incite the emotion that sports creates, and I think that's such an amazing opportunity, and I feel so fortunate to work for properties that do that. And so I, I, I think it's incumbent upon us to inspire that next generation and get really smart people to come to the table to make those products the best they can be because there are so few things that do that today. I, I, I was asked a question in an interview recently, are there, is there anything else that you could think of that does that? And the only other thing that came to mind was music um, that really 
kind of strips away those barriers because you're so emotionally connected to the experience. And sports for sure does that. And, um, and so for me, you know, having that opportunity to really influence that outcome is, is something that I feel really proud of. And um, I remind my, my kids of uh, often because there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with working in sports because, as you know, living in the sports industry, uh, we work really hard and our jobs really make uh, significant demands on our both technical work time and personal time. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I tell my kids how important it is that I be responsive and, and really give, give my bandwidth to this role and any jobs I've ever had in my career because it is that important. You've said in the past that you're ready to lead by example and continue a cycle of mentorship that you've benefited throughout your career. Who have been some of your biggest mentors in helping you get to where you are today? Um, well, for sure, um, my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are, my mom is 72, my dad is 82, and they both still work full-time. So uh, that tells you a little bit about my work ethic. <laughs> I I often feel like I'm a slacker in my family compared to them because they just, they're so driven in their careers. And I've watched that my whole life, especially my mom, who, you know, it, back when I was a kid in, in the late 70s and 80s, watching how she juggled being a mom, being committed to family and friends as well as her career was something that I just found to be so admirable and it wasn't always pretty and it's not always pretty for me and it's not always pretty for those of us who do the juggling, but I just have so much respect for the, the amount of effort and, and time she, she took in her life to really try to balance it all. Um, so definitely my parents, but I would say in my work life, um, person who comes to mind is, Bob Batterman, who led the labor negotiations for the NHL and Major League Soccer and the NFL. Um, and he really trained me as a labor lawyer when I worked at Proskauer Rose before I joined the NHL in 2006. And he, he really taught me a lot. And I would say um, the, the takeaway I got from him was really relationship before task. And uh, he he really cared a lot about building relationships. Labor relations is really all about those relationships. And um, so I, I carry that with me. And I, I try to remember that when we're all so driven to get to the outcome of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs, Jessica Berman here on Off the Crossroad. What does that title mean to you? Does it hold a lot of weight being the first woman in a professional men's sport to have a title like that? It does carry a lot of weight. And, um, you know, when, when the announcement came out last week, I, I wasn't, none of us were really sure how people would react to it. And the response has been really overwhelmingly positive. And so, um, you know, I, I have, heard from so many people, uh, both men and women who are inspired by that. And, um, I feel like they're kind of 
in my camp rooting for me to do well. And so um, I feel fortunate that I have such a great support system of people in and out of the sports industry who are there for me to um, assist and lend support when I need guidance and help, including the other deputy commissioners in the, in the men's leagues all reached out and said, we're here for you if, uh, if you have any questions. And so I, I feel I felt very welcomed into the deputy commissioner club. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just really excited to, to have the opportunity to do the job. You hit the ground running Monday. What's number one on your to-do list other than meet everybody? Well, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> for sure, if you meet everybody, um, you know, I've worked in hockey for 13 years at the NHL, but before that as outside counsel. And so I, I feel uh, really embedded in the hockey community and many have said that my identity is inextricably intertwined with the NHL and the sport of hockey. Uh, and I've felt that way at times. So, um, the last few weeks extracting myself, disentangling myself from the hockey Mm -hmm. world, at least on the professional side has been really emotional and challenging for me. Um, but you know, I'm very excited to meet a whole new group of people, Uh, understand the lacrosse challenges and opportunities, which I'm sure are unique, Um, but also um, excited that there's so much connectivity between the two sports. Um, And I've heard from so many former NHL players who I've worked closely with over the years about how much respect they have for the game of lacrosse. And many of them, as I'm sure you know, as a lacrosse player, played lacrosse, and Mm -hmm. specifically many of them played box lacrosse. So um, I think there's probably a lot of um, foundational uh, elements that transcend both sports. So um, hopefully those moments will be um, uh, comforting for me. And as I learn the new areas and meet all the new people, I can really stretch and grow. And I'm excited about all that. The National Crossing has partnered with uh, Turner Sports and Bleacher Report, and it's done a great job in, in bringing the game to more people. How important do you feel being on OTT platforms is important for the game, but how much more important is TV for the growth of the game? Well, I think Nick uh, devised a really great strategy partnering with a brand like Turner and, and BR Live to basically allow anybody to access the game anywhere, anytime on demand, which is, as you know, the way of the future. It's kind of the way the media industry is going and um, living with two um, members of the next generation of our fans who are eight and 11. It's uh, I have to force them to sit down and watch TV. The only reason they ever watch TV is because I'm like, no, if it's a family experience, we should sit on the couch and watch the TV. And they're like, don't know. And yesterday I came home from work and they were sitting on the couch, both watching sports highlights or um, I think they were actually watching some of the U.S. Open. They were sitting next to each other, but they each had their own screen. And it's like, you know, I, I challenged them, like, you guys are being antisocial. And they're like, no, we're not. Like, we're, we're showing each other uh, what we're seeing. And it's like, oh, he had a really good play. Look at this. Or she, look at what she did. And, so I just think they're growing up with the expectation.
what they want, when they want, how they want it. And so um, I think it's a great foundation for the future of how we distribute our content. And I'm sure there'll be continued discussions about how and whether we deliver any of our products in a linear over the over the air. Um, but I, I think in order to build the next generation of fans, it has to be accessible really from anywhere at any time. That was going to be our next question. Obviously, fans are the heartbeat of any league. How do we make uh, the sport of lacrosse more accessible for fans, both as spectators and participants? Yeah, I think um, you know my background is in community, and so um, the way that I, I approached the work that I was responsible for for the last four years, the NHL, was about building partnerships with influencers and communities, and some of those influencers aren't like the kind of influencers that people think of, like celebrity influencers, although, although those are important as well. I, I really believe that identifying who in particular communities are influencing behaviors, and sometimes it's a coach from a community that's been coaching a particular sport for 25 years and getting him or her to come and experience it and be your um, advocate in the community really can make a difference. And um, I think, you know, the balance between the national promotion and marketing with a hyper-local strategy is, is really key. And I hope to have the opportunity to bring some of that, um, those best practices and that thinking into the NLL. We work really closely with our team on things like that and ensuring that our teams are being connected with those kinds of micro-influencers and kind of a more hyper-local strategy. So um, there's just a lot of competition for people's time and attention, and I think people are craving local engagement right now. And so um, I think it's a real opportunity to really kind of go deep into communities and um, really leverage key relationships to bring people in to try the game. Is it integral to have players in market? Because as you may know, the National Lacrosse League being sort of a quote-unquote weekend league, guys don't necessarily live in the market they play for. So it makes it harder for some teams to do those grassroots programs and get players visible in the community. How important is it to have guys in market to do some of these things you're going to want to implement? Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll, that'll be a, a learning process for me to understand how accessible they are. But I think with how kind of on-demand digital content is these days, there should be a way to make the players feel more present, even if they physically can't be every single day. I also think, you know, you can show up if you're around on the weekends and there, there probably are opportunities to create those in-person connections that, um, that should be examined and leveraged. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily the biggest challenge because as you know, even in the other pro leagues where it's not a weekend league, it's very challenging to get players to show up because their time is full essentially, and scheduled, and they get very little time off between practices and games. So, you know, I, I'm not sure it's, it's, uh, it's an impediment that 
would um, deter our connection back to the communities. I just think we have to get creative with it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, from what I have, from what I've seen from the outside, you know, lacrosse players tend to be relatable and um, really interested in supporting the growth of the game. Really passionate about the fact that they are lacrosse players and feel strongly about the teachable moments of the game and the value it promotes. And so, you know, tapping into that passion should be something that players want to do. And I I hope I'll have the opportunity to partner with them on building that because that's, that's really what parents and families want their kids exposed to. And so having known lacrosse players over the years, I think that's the place where I see a lot of similarities to hockey in the, the values it teaches, the teachable moments of the game, and the opportunity to really promote that because there are very few things that do that for kids these days. One of the biggest issues around most sports is CBA. Uh, the National Crossing signed a new five-year deal last year. The NHL is on the verge of coming to a head with the Players Association. How, what can we do or what can you do as a person in your position to avoid negotiations going to the 11th hour? Because it seems like it gets there almost every time we're in these situations. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I, I don't know that this is unique to labor relations or collective bargaining. I think human nature is very deadline-oriented, and people mm-hmm. tend to focus on deadlines. And so because these agreements have either expiration dates or opt-out dates or notice periods, it, it drives behavior towards the deadline. And um, so I think the only way to avoid that is to really go back to relationship building and go back to the why and make sure that both parties are reminding each other of why it's important to figure out solutions proactively so that we're not leaving a list of things that need to be addressed for the 11th hour because it becomes really hard to get all of that done in a tight time frame. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's the old adage of, you know, whatever is like, whatever fire is burning on your desk is getting your attention. I don't know that that's the best strategy. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that's an intentional strategy. So it's just always remembering how important that agreement is to the foundation of growth in any league and making it priority, even when it's, not even close to being on fire. And um, I know that Nick has spent a lot of time building relationships with the PLPA. I haven't yet had the opportunity to meet them, but I'm really looking forward to it. And the relationships that I built at the NHLPA are some of the relationships that I'm most proud of in my career because of how challenging the relationships can be and the demands can be on satisfying each of your own stakeholders and constituents. So maintaining a positive relationship requires a lot of love and effort and attention. And the fact that I had relationships that I could call on when I needed support for something or needed to be candid about a particular issue and have a real conversation is something that I'm really proud of. And I hope to be able to develop with our union at the NLL. If John Goldman doesn't introduce you to Nick Sakevich, are we having this conversation? 
know what? Um, I, I think not, unfortunately. I, I don't know that Nick and my world would have overlapped but for John Goldman. So um, he really um, saw, had a vision and um, saw a future for Nick and I to partner. And it really happened last fall when he and I were at a board meeting at the University of Michigan where we both went and had a conversation about the future of my career. And, and he's always been a mentor to me. And he said, I, I have somebody that I really want you to meet. I don't know if anything will come of it, but I know he's building a league and really cares about culture and people and wants to surround himself with people who challenge him and think differently from him. And I think you two would really get along. And uh, he was right. So we both owe a lot to John. Jessica Berman truly is carrying the torch for the next generation of women in sports. And not just sports, but sports business, where the idea of a woman in that realm had been so far-fetched for years that her becoming the deputy commissioner is the first time it's ever happened in men's professional sports. It is groundbreaking that it is happening. It's also shocking that it's taken this long. However, as we see in many cases, once that first domino falls, it opens up the pathway for everyone to grow and set the bar higher than it was before. I'm super excited to see what Jessica can do for the National Cross League, and I hopefully can work alongside her with the rest of us and help growing our game at the professional level and at the grassroots level. It was a true pleasure to talk to her, and I can't wait to do it again. Thanks to you, the fans, for tuning in. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. For those of you in Philadelphia, I will see you on Tuesday. We're at the Man Cup this week. Stop by the booth. Say hello. Until we speak again, it's almost NLL season. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>